Kaylee Fretz. Do you yes, Strava? Sir. Do you Strava? Do you love Strava, Kaylee? I love the Strava. Did you Strava so today? Much. I Strava this morning. What actually. did you Strava this morning? I strava my hour and 18 minute uh, not all that fast bicycle ride. Wow. Yeah. Look at you. But Whoa. I got a PR on a, on a thing. Yeah. Well, that's even better. You know what you can do with that hour and 18 minute PR, Strava? You can go over to Health IQ and submit it as proof that you're a healthy, fit individual. Uh, Health IQ, as you all know by now, is the life insurance company that works specifically with fit, healthy individuals, cyclists, runners, vegans, uh, people like you and me, Kaylee. Yep. Uh, w- so where, where can they go? I believe there is a um, There's a special URL. website. Yeah. There's a special website because Health IQ loves the listeners of the Velmi's podcast. There's a special website where you can go get your quote. That is healthiq.com slash Velo News. Pretty easy to remember. And that's where you can submit your awesome Strava-ness. Instead of just bragging about it to all your friends, you can you can make that Strava like work for you. Save you some buckaroos. Exactly. All right, on with the show. It's the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, joined by Kaylee Fretz. Hey, Fred. And Andrew Hood. And guys, I have that Vuelta España theme song stuck in my head. Have you guys listened to this year's Vuelta España theme song? I doubt that Hoodie's been able to get away from it, actually. He is on the ground in Spain. But I have also listened to it a little bit. And it's one of those ones that just sort of spins around in the noggin for a couple hours every morning. Yeah. uh, Listeners to the Velo News Podcast, I implore you to go to YouTube and Google Vuelta España theme song because they they have not just the song, but also really great music video. In fact, let's give let, let's give a little cut of it right here. Oh, sweet sultry sounds! Beautiful. And the video. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's just people baila, baila, baila. Oh, dancing all over the place. Uh, Hoodie, you're at the Vuelta. Are people just spontaneously uh, bursting into baila, baila, baila dance moves wherever you go? <laughs> yeah, I think the fans might be, but anybody in the race entourage is ready to uh, slit their wrist every time they hear that song. That's... <laughs> And it's only stage four, so it's going to be uh, a lot of uh, a lot of damage. I think between now and, and uh, Madrid. Oh man! Plus, it's like end of the season for everybody. Everyone's kind of burned out uh, within the team staff and the journalist core. Um, our journalists are they baila baila bailaing in the <laughs> press room hoodie? I tell you what, they were they sure were today because we finally got back into Spain. You know, we started in <laughs> France a couple of days. We had a night in Andorra. So all the Spanish journalists were literally like kissing the ground as soon as we crossed the border today. <laughs> they, they, they were saying, uh, Estoy hasta las cojones con Francia, which is like uh, a colorful way of saying I've had it up to the eyeballs for France. <laughs> uh, before we get into it, have you had it up to your eyeballs in France? I noticed in your social media feed, you got Franced pretty hard. Uh, was it last night, a couple nights ago? Two nights ago, yes, indeed. Uh, anybody who's been to France, anybody who's been to France knows what it means to get Franced. Uh, 
In fact, I was only in, in the country for about 48 hours and I managed to miss two meals and got stuck eating at the Buffalo Grill. So oh, the Buffalo yeah, Grill. Hated Buffalo Grill. I think that we need our sale. If, if we have any Velo News uh, podcast salespeople um, listening, we need to sell a sponsorship to the Buffalo Grill. Uh, the Buffalo <laughs> Grill is it's kind of like what low grade Applebee's of France. Yeah. And, it, and all, the, all the, the, the food items are named after sort of weird what they think of as Western uh-huh. things. So, yeah, it's pretty horrible. Uh, you know, the, the, the hamburgers in France, uh, not always stellar anyway. And then you go to the Buffalo, Buffalo Grill and they are even less so. Well, it's a real international place because once you come out of the Buffalo Grill, you are Russian for a men's room. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into it, guys. We, we have seen four stages of the world to España. Um, we just saw a f- enjoyable sprint stage won by uh, Matteo Trenton of Quick Step, and uh, we want to talk about stage three because this was Monday stage finished with a Cat Two climb and descent, and it proved to be the first GC shakeup stage of the race. Uh, the man who was shaken out was Alberto Contador. The yep. man who did the shaking was Chris Froome. And we have our first picture of what this year's uh, Welta GC race is going to look like. So, Hoodie, you were on the ground. You were watching the stage. I think a good place to start would be talking about Team Sky's tactics through the day. Because, you know, based on your reporting through this race, Team Sky has not been shy about their motivations to want to, to win this race. And they really showed their cards during this stage. So what went down? Yeah, I think they they took almost like a Tour de France approach to this stage. They you know they had that uh, Rabassa climb, uh, Cat One, then 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 that Cat Two, and they knew those two climbs stacked up were going to be able to put the pinch on riders. There was a lot of uncertainty coming into this stage too, because really it's the first hard stage anyone's had since uh, the end of the tour. Plus the guys coming off the Giro, they hadn't really raced that hard as well. So there's a lot of question marks. And I think Team Sky just wanted to slam it, and man, it sure paid off for him. It, it kind of came back together because it was that downhill. You saw guys like, uh, you know, Nibali, of course, chase back on. A few other guys got back on, so didn't completely blow up the race. But man, it sure was like the first, uh, the first uh, real serious blow, wasn't it? Yeah, the takeaway that I had was Team Sky's Welta squad. Boy, they look really strong. I mean, Johnny Moscone going so hard at the base of that climb. like In his I, first ever Grand Tour. Yeah, and I think of him as more of a classics TT big strong guy, and here he is just shredding the peloton going up that climb, and then, of course, Nieve and uh, Wout Poles. I mean, did we ever have any doubt that that guy was going to be wrong? Not really. Gonna, gonna, not going to be strong. Just, just setting a huge pace. What caught me a little by surprise, though, is Team Sky starts putting the foot down, and then, boom, inside a K to the top, Chris Froome attacks. He goes for it. I thought that we would be seeing those types of attacks maybe week two, week three. But here it is, stage three. And, and he's going for it, Kaylee. What, what, is, what does that tell us about Chris Froome right now and his approach to the Vuelta? He is extremely confident. Uh, you know, his team is definitely very, very strong. That was clear. Uh, they've learned their lesson from previous Vueltas. Yeah, Chris Froome's never won this race. He's been second three different times. He's been basically going for it for like seven years now, and he's never won the Vuelta. So he's clearly, he's come into it hot. I mean, he proved when he went on Monday that really, well, Chavez was the only guy that could, that could stick with him initially. Uh, there is, I think, a broader point. If you go back and look at the results, though, the top, uh, the top like eight or nine riders that all finished approximately together uh, there was no other Sky teammate in there. So I think that if you are one of Froome's competitors, you actually potentially see that stage 
uh, and look forward as, uh, as maybe an opportunity to isolate Froome mm-hmm. later on. Because once the going got really, really, really tough, Poles was gone and Nieve were gone. And you're down to eight, eight, nine riders uh, eventually by the, by the finish line. And again, Froome was the only skyrider. So if there'd been another climb, for example, Froome would have been isolated. Yeah, it's not like we're seeing a Mika Landa type scenario in which Sky have two potential cards to play in this race. Really does seem like it's all for Froome. Uh, Hoodie, what were the reactions like from some of the riders that you talked to after this stage? Just seeing the way that A, Team Sky rode, and then B, the ferocity that Froome approached that, uh, that final climb with. Yeah, just going back to what Kelly had to say, it was a good point. The plan was actually was for Pools to be with Froome, and he couldn't couldn't quite follow the wheel there in that last uh, serious acceleration, uh, because the idea was to have Pools as kind of the, the second man there in the GC. So he did lose a little bit of time. And that was not expected. That was not part of the plan. Uh, yeah, I mean the reactions at the finish line were like, "Whoa, here we go again. Here's Froome. <laughs> you know, here's Froome throwing down stage three. We're going to make this a long three weeks for everybody." Um, the big surprise for me to take away was to see Chavez following Froome. That little flare was, you know, it was a good acceleration. Certainly put everyone into the red, and then there was a little Chavito right there on his <laughs> wheel. And uh, to be to be honest, I was pretty surprised about that because uh, you know Chavez has had a rough season. What a super nice guy I did an interview with him in the Nîmes uh, Arena the other day. They had a little get together with some of the favorites, and he was smiling that. He was being cagey about the team tactics because we actually saw both of the Yates brothers kind of give up some time the other day, about a half minute uh, on the GC. And I was asking uh, Chavez, I'm like, hey, what's the plan? He goes, I am not going to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't tell you either, Eddie. (laughs) No, you wouldn't tell me either, yeah. He goes, if I tell you... You would tell everyone. You have to wait and see. It managed. It, didn't take, it, didn't, it sure didn't take long for, uh, for the world to know. And then, uh, you know, man, look who, who's right there, man, Mr. TJ Van Garderen. He had lost some time there that day before with that bunch split. He lost a few seconds, and that might have cost TJ the red leader's jersey. Mm. Uh, did you inform Mr. Chavez that telling everyone is actually your job? <laughs> Chavita, that's, yeah, that's my job, man. That's what I do. I'm a journalist to tweet things out, put it on the internet. Yeah. Um, what, what does that mean for Orica's tactics going forward? So they have Chavez, who has the ability to follow Chris Froome on uh, moderate to large climbs, and the Yates brothers, who are both strong, but maybe a couple steps behind. Um, what, what, is, what should that be telling Orica? about the, the cards to play going forward here. I mean, I think they do still have three options. The Yates brothers, yes, they lost a little bit of time. Uh, they're both still within a minute of, of the leader. Uh, that is, you know, it's still pretty tight. We're on, we're on stage four. Uh, there are still, I think, uh, at least five more major mountain stages. There are eight more uphill finishes, nine if you count one that actually has a bit of a dip down to the finish line. Uh, you know, this, this, this Vuelta is far, far, far from over. And the fact that they have still three guys within a minute, three real contenders within a minute, uh, they can certainly use that going forward. The guy, the biggest loser of the day, mm-hmm. at stage, Alberto Contador. Um, I think it was, M- M- Moscone was still on the front when uh, Contador started to slip off the back and gave some comments afterwards, sort of, uh, you know, didn't know, didn't understand why his body felt that bad. Um, Towards the top of that climb, we saw him basically soft-pedaling, it seemed like, to the top. Stetna had to come back. Peter Stetna had to come back and pace him to the top. Uh, Hoodie, what's the sense you get out of the Contador camp about what happened and then what the plan is now? Yeah, Alberto was saying that he was not feeling good on the Rabasa climb, that first major climb before the the Catu, and he said he had uh, you know kind of bad stomach. That I mean, 
I think he must have eaten at the Buffalo Grill. I mean, come on. I mean, uh, <laughs> rookie error. Come I on, mean, rookie mistake. Yeah, Alberto, uh, oh. you know, he's <laughs> – I mean, that, that's the only explanation I can think of. You know, you had the Buffalo Grill. You're not going to climb as fast as you. You won't be dancing <laughs> in the pedal. Put it that way. Now, he said that uh, – just said that he did not feel good. He felt like he had some digestion problems. In fact, today at the start, he was saying he was not sleeping well even last night after that hard effort. So, uh, you know, it's time to hit the uh, recalculation button there for Contador. You know, I was I did a bunch of interviews with some people already coming into uh, this Welta. And it's kind of universal agreement, including Alberto's the first one to say it. The time is right for Alberto to retire. Um, you, don't want to, you don't want to see a big champion like that getting flogged off the back, uh, you know, hanging around a year or two later than he should. Um, yesterday, maybe it was a bad stage. I think Alberto's going to still like this Welta. He'll try to win at least the stage and take something out of this Welta. But uh, he's not going to win the Welta. No, he's definitely not going to win the Welta. And I think that, I think he's, I think he knows that already. <laughs> I think his team knows that. You know, Pete Stetna uh, waited up for him and actually was was pretty key to, to keeping him at least somewhat close. Uh, great ride from Pete. We're actually going to hear from Pete a little bit later on in the podcast here. Uh, two other riders that struck me as, as somewhat surprising that they lost so much time because we were kind of keeping an eye on both these guys for the same reason. And that's that's uh, Jungle Bob, Bob Jungles, mm. down many, many, many minutes. He lost 7.24. Uh, and then also Rowan Dennis. And these are two guys who, they're very, very good time trials. We were kind of wondering whether they were going to try to make a run at the GC. We've seen Bob Jungles do that at the Giro. Rowan Dennis has kind of been threatening to for a long time. To lose that much time in the very first mountain stage, uh, I don't. I'm not sure that that was entirely part of the plan for either one of those guys, and I was personally surprised to see them quite that far back. Yeah, I was too, especially since a lot of the messaging we've been getting out of the BMC camp is that Dennis is on this very deliberate, very uh, targeted, long-term plan to make him a Grand Tour contender. And you'd think someone with the time trial chops uh would be able to look at this year's welta you know yes yes they're big mountains but they come later in the race and would be maybe making more of an effort to uh to have you know to be up there hoodie did you get a sense from anyone on the ground what's going on with those guys um yeah i think that uh youngles was kind of coming in here with uh stage hunting Mm. ideal you know in his mind and with rowan yeah question mark really about what he's kind of doing because last year he had the big push for um the Olympics with the time trial this year, he was saying, I, I spoke to him briefly the other day. He was saying that his uh, real GC goal was the Giro. And of course that fell apart early. He crashed out, I think in the second or third stage. So he was kind of already downplaying his GC ambitions for this race, even after they won the team time trial the other day. So yeah, but you know, long term project, I mean, how old is he now? 26. I mean, he's almost as, He's not that much younger than TJ, right. and then Gardner has, has already been flicked as the the main man at BMC as uh, as the uh, as the uh, uh, Grand Tour leader. Of course, Richie Port's there. Hey, man, hot hot rumor going around is that uh, TJ Van Gardner might be going to Team Sky next year. Wow. Really? Interesting Ooh. rumor. I've, um, I've always that, 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 that comes from Daniel Freedy, by the way. That is not my little mini scoop. That's uh, <laughs> oh, our colleague there. Wow, our colleague there at that other uh, other uh, that other podcast. Uh, that podcast, definitely yeah. definitely wrong. Then we have to fact check that one. Fake news, Daniel. That's some fake news. Fact check that one. I've always I've always kind of expected to see TJ go to Trek. Honestly, this is I, I feel like that's where he belongs. He's the American uh, GC guy at this point. Trek is losing Contador. I feel like that's where he should go. Um, that brings up another point, which is that okay, Trek is one of the bigger budget teams. They've had sort of this 
I wouldn't say lackluster year, but just a, a year of a lot of second places, a lot of third places, classics through the early stage races, a lot of near misses for them. Um, at the Colorado Classic, I interviewed uh, Luca Gracilena, the team general manager. He said, ah, I'd give the team a seven out of 10. That was sort of the, the, the grade point he would give them, at, you know, saying that the year was not over and that they still had opportunities to do well. But boy, now you look at this Vuelta España, you know, uh, Contador's out of it. Pantano didn't really do much in that stage. Uh, Stetna was up there. How does this team refocus through the Vuelta and find other victories to chase after? What's, what constitutes a victory for them now? I mean, I think that Contador winning stages is, is basically what they can hope for at this point. And honestly, it's, I mean, Stetna, Peter's been, he's been riding really, really well. Uh, if Contador is way off on GC, then maybe give... Maybe give Pete a little bit of a, a free reign. I mean, he could he could certainly win all of these all of these wealth stages that have up, uphill finishes and they're super lumpy. And you know, we're already done half of the flat stages of the entire Vuelta, and we're halfway through the first week. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities for a guy like Pete to, to maybe jump in a breakaway and do something. And also, they have uh, Degenkolb in the in for the uh, bunch sprints. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Kolb can't even buy a win this year. I think he's might have won one or two races all season. You know, he really wants to get a, a stage win. In fact. Um, the team was initially going to be built around Degenkolb, but then finally they agreed that Contador would retire and make the Welta his last race. They kind of tweaked out the team a little bit. So I know Degenkolb is still trying, but man, he's not. He, he he said he's been kind of sick coming in. He's he's not even. He's been in a bunch every day. He's not even, or I should say, you know, in the back of the bunch. He's not even trying any sprints so far. Mm. Yeah, it looks like he may have had a uh, Buffalo Grill menu item as well. <laughs> he said something about a stomachache on Twitter. It's like, come on, guys, what is what is going on here? Jeez. Oh, um, before we move on past stage three, we got to talk about stage three winner, uh, Vincenzo Nibali. What, talk about a topsy-turvy finish to that stage. I mean, he gets dropped on the final climb. He makes not the second group, but the third group is able to catch back on on the descent and then makes that KG attack inside half a kilometer to go to win and then celebrates with a, the the hand-to-the-head shark fin, which I, I think he said that it may have been improvised in the moment. That looked like something he had to have been planning. He had to have been I... in the mirror for a couple <laughs> weeks before that being like, do I tilt the hand to one side or the other? Do I make it more on top of the head to the front? Like, what does a shark fin actually look like? Uh, I'm, I'm not a marine biologist, uh, but I do know that the, the fin isn't on the head yeah. of the shark. It's on somewhere on the back. And so it actually, it kind of reminded me more of a chicken. Oh, the chicken has a little, little red thing over the top of the head. Uh, sorry to say, but that is the first thing that I thought of when I saw that, that victory salute. Uh, you know, it, it goes down in the, in the, in the canon of weird, of weird victory salutes. We've got, you know, we've got both the McEwen and Peter Sagan running man. Yeah. Uh, we've got Juan Antonio Fletch's archer, which is, I think the best of all time. <laughs> all right. I know that, I know that hoodie, you, you tweeted at me the other day that you thought Tonkov might be better, but I'm going with the archer. Wait, what was the Tonkov? Oh, it was the Tonkov salute. Salute the old Bafankulo. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he, won, he, he won a stage of, uh, this is years ago, after his team flicked him, I can't, some political thing. And he just told the whole world to FO at the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to our Italian listeners who know what that meant. I liked the yeah. uh, Vinokurov putting the pacifier in his mouth, swinging the baby. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of baby ones. Yeah, Saster did a baby one. Baby win. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm baby still victory. going with the Archer man. Uh, what do we think about Nibali and his chances at this year's Welta? Um, he gets dropped on that climb, fights fights back on, wins the stage. Do we see that as a harbinger for getting dropped on climbs later in this race? Um, uh, Hoodie, what's your take 
on where Nibali is right now? Yeah, Nibali is one of those, uh, even though he has a Slongo as his trainer and, you know, he's he's part of this newer generation, he still seems to me like an old school rider, Nibali. He can be hot one day and then just completely fall apart the next day and then bounce back and, and get back into the frame. And that's basically what he did just in, the, in that in that last part of that stage two days ago. Uh, and I see him podium contender for sure. Maybe, maybe if, if there's a hiccup on Froome's part, you know, Nibali could uh, be there to nip at his toes, but he's not gonna. He's gonna lose time just like everybody else in that big time trial. And Froome is looking sharp as attack right now, and I just don't think Nibali has got it to, to beat him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that 40k TT late in the race. That's going to be what two minutes for every single other GC contender. I mean, I guess that's why I was looking at guys like like Jungles and Jungles and uh, and Dennis. It's just like somebody who can stay close in that time trial, maybe also stay close in the climbs. I'm I'm, I'm honestly a little bit disappointed that. All of the guys who are behind Froome, uh, with the exception of maybe TJ Van Garderen, actually, uh, are, are really going to lose a lot of time in that uh, in that time trial. Yeah, and I think they're going to lose a lot of time the day before in the Angli Roo. And as we Probably. all know, Vicenza Nibali loves the Angli Roo, just his <laughs> favorite climb in all of Europe. I think the last time we saw him on that, he was just getting punched in the face by old man Horner. That stage is going to be crazy. It's only 117 kilometers. Uh, so this is one of those short stages. It goes over a big cat one and then the Angli Roo. That is going to be a painful stage can't wait can't wait uh so the remainder of week one of the welta espana we have some lumps we have some lumpy days we have some lumpy lumpy days with stingers at the end favorite favorite style of stage hoodie what are you expecting to see come out of this first week of the welta yeah we do have these these kinds of stages that can kind of disrupt people can get caught out uh you can see some differences obviously at the end of these little punchy summit finales uh, the real action is going to come this weekend with uh, Saturday, Sunday, kind of back-to-back with uh, Chirete Cati on Saturday and the Cumbre del Sol on Sunday. And that last Cumbre del Sol, that's where we saw Dumoulin take that stage win two weeks, two, two years ago. These are the kind of stages that kind of favor uh, guys, maybe like Aru, uh, Chavez, and perhaps don't favor Froome as much. He's kind of struggled sometimes with some of those little, you know, steep, punchy, punchy finales. So maybe there's some hope there to uh, kind of keep this thing tight going into uh, week two. I mean, hot take right here. I think Chris Froome should give up that jersey. I think he should get to one of these punchy stages and let Chavito or Nibali or someone else take it off his back. I mean, as we saw last year with, uh, with Froome Gall, Maybe defending a lead and riding the front for a three-week stage race around Spain when you have varying levels of fitness isn't the best way forward for Sky. I think you should give it away. I think the team is stronger this year, personally. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's true. I think that they will get some help over the next couple of days because the, the sort of the few remaining stages where a non-GC contender might take a victory are... are mostly stacked into the, into the remainder of the weeks here. So we may see you know teams like Quickstep, a bunch of other squads uh, that can that can send a guy and, and maybe do something in a really short, punchy finish. Uh, we may see some of those teams help out a little bit over the next week. So it won't all be on Sky's shoulders. That said, uh, yeah, I, I think that it is so tight that he may lose it accidentally. It may, it may not even be on purpose. I mean, we're talking about he's still within time bonus range uh, of most of the guys that are in the, that top five. So he may lose it. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you, Kaylee. I mean, there's no way that we just give it up to uh, Chavez. I think it might happen accidentally. 
But remember that guy named Oscar Pereira? <laughs> How could we forget? You don't want to. You don't hey, want to give noted up Tour de France winner. Jersey. Noted Tour de France winner Oscar Pereira. Yes, I'm very familiar. Oh yeah, famous Tour de France winner Oscar Pereira, of course. Very famous. You, yeah. you don't. You don't. You don't. You don't just give it up to a guy who actually might be able to beat you. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> All right. Well, Hoodie, you you had some grabs with some people. You chatted with uh, Peter Stetna. You got what Larry Warbass as well. Let's, let's, let's chat with Larry. Yeah, for years I always, I always thought his name was Larry Warbass. So finally, uh, <laughs> I, I now know that it's Larry Warbass. So I stand corrected. And Larry is uh, Capitan America, right? Capitan America, we yeah. Like yeah, he's got he's, so our, our current U.S. National Road Champion uh, has his Aqua Blue U.S. National Champ kit, including including uh, some some stars and stripes uh, Rafa shoes. Fancy pulls the whole outfit together. I Ooh, think yeah, it's good. it's a good looking kit. It's very it is very a Captain America. It's got the big you know uh, red and white down on the down the down the torso, and then all a whole bunch of stars on the shoulders. I think it looks good. All right, let's hear from these guys. I'm Larry Warbass, I'm a rider for Aqua Blue Sport, and we're here at the start of the Vuelta in Nice, stage two. Now we're on the Larry, how's it feel? This is your first day in the National Tour yesterday. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to be here at such a big race, Vuelta España, you know, big grand tour uh, in the U.S. National Champ jersey, so it's pretty, pretty huge honor uh, to be able to come here. Such a big race, and uh, wear this jersey represent the U.S. So I'm, I'm really happy, and I'm excited to do it. Hopefully, I can do it justice. All the way down to the shoes. Yeah, yeah, man. Tell, tell us about those. Yeah, these are uh, these. I wear Rafa climber shoes, and uh, yeah, the day after. Uh, I won the Nationals, Rafa sent me an email and they said, oh, we have a surprise uh, coming for you. So, uh, yeah, a guy um, from a company named Artful Kicks uh, designed them and uh, he did all the painting and stuff. And, yeah, I think they, they look pretty sweet and I'm pretty excited about them. Not too bad. Uh, I like my new nickname. So, hey, it was, uh, I think actually it was really one of excitement. Uh, I think the staff was more nervous than all the riders, you know, like one of the coaches, he was almost shaking. He was so nervous. And uh, so I think we had, we had to calm the staff down uh, more than us, but everyone was really excited. And uh, yeah, it ended up going pretty well for us. We were, I think, 13. So, you know, it was a pretty solid ride right up there amongst the guys, a few seconds out of the top 10. And so, yeah, it was a good day for the team. And uh, hopefully we can do another good one today. Uh, I think we're, we're looking for a stage. You know, that would be gigantic if we could win a stage. And, uh, you know, we have Adam Blythe for the sprints and he could be definitely a good shot for a day like today uh, and then yeah the rest of us will probably go for breakaways so if I can uh, infiltrate a good breakaway pick the right move on the right day uh, you never know what can happen oh yeah it feels amazing you know uh, I've just yeah, kind of worked worked really hard every year since I've been a pro, and uh, this is the first year that you know I guess I finally started to see some of the fruits of my labor, and, uh, and so it's really just amazing, and uh, I really love this team, Aqua Blue Sport. We we really had a great time. We have a good group of riders, uh, great staff, and yeah, I'm really just enjoying cycling this year, and uh, you know that translates into results. So I'm really happy. 
I'm Pete Stetna with Trek Segafredo. Um, I'm in the tour of Spain, but we're in France. So, Pete, for this uh, welter spot, you guys have Alberto Contador, his last Grand Tour. I know you'll only join. He joined your team this year, so you probably haven't known too much. But what's your general impression of Alberto? What's he brought to cycling, and what will the sport miss when he's gone? You know, it's pretty cool that they uh, that I get a race with him in his final race. I guess they call me the closer because I did. Uh, Cadell's final race with him on BMC and Tour Down Under and now Alberto's final race here and I guess they bring me because I know how to party. <laughs> so. you, you think there'll be some partying uh, between now and Madrid or they're going to wait until I don't know. I got it. Not until Madrid for sure. Alberto's the pro's pro and so I, I don't know if he'll actually imbibe too much but uh, no, it's good. It's it's an honor to help a, a legend like him close out the career. I mean, the, the scrum around our bus every day is insane. I mean, he, this is like for a lot of Spaniards I mean they're really like rushing at him and he needs bodyguards to protect him this is like Michael Jordan's final game you know for cycling it's big yeah. uh, you know I just wanted to complete the trilogy and do all three Grand Tours and also do two in a season which I've never done so that's why I went with the Giro Vuelta program um and uh, you know that I mean the goal is to, to go and try to win the race with Alberto I mean he's he's prepared he's he's a consummate professional and he wants to go out on a high note so I mean we have a very uh, very united and strict uh, team idea for this race really there's only one option for, for the things you know stage hunting is uh, a much lower priority so you were just telling me about uh, your uh, adventures you had at the Cascade Classic. Recount that story. How did you guys pull that together? So, uh, Kiel and uh, Kiel Reinen, uh, my good buddy on Trek, and I were not racing the tour, and there's not many other races during July because of the tour. And so, instead of just training alone for two months, we saw that the Cascade Classic is going on in July, which um, we both grew up racing. Um, Bend is one of the coolest towns in the U.S., and so we uh, USA Cycling just uh, change the rules so pro riders could do it the caveat being that we have to go as a composite team um, so we talked to USA Cycling and they said they would support us because it helps us prepare for our goals later in the season get more race days for Worlds for Vuelta um, the only caveat being that we needed to field a team of minimum five riders so then we went to Alex Howes who I grew up with and was one of the groomsmen in my wedding and Damian Shanks was our director you know he used to be our mechanic when we were juniors, you know, but now he's, he was the director there. And, I mean, we were just hanging out in a, in a house uh, with, you know, the our lady counterparts and, and Damo and just, uh, you know, we finish every stage and just uh, sit in the garage, slam some beers. One guy would tinker on the bike. And then, uh, you know, before the crib, we were floating the river into shoots, like just having fun. And, uh, and we actually, we won every road stage, you know, we didn't really have TT gear and the crit was, uh, terrifying, but, uh, you know, all the road stages, we actually ended up winning. We were just having fun. And, you know, just, uh, it was that week of why you remember what you love about bike racing, you know, and, and for all of us, it just, it gave us this, this fresh breath in 
our, our sales in, in our careers, honestly, not just the season. So. Now, what did the local racers think when you guys showed up? They went, oh, man, you can see these big pros. are going to poach all of our prize money. No, you know, back in the a few years ago, we would get some flack, but, you know, the U.S. level is so high now. Like, I mean, we did not win the overall, and it was tight every day. And, I mean, any pro worth their medal is excited to race against you. I remember racing against uh, Levi and Lance in uh, the Gila and Levi and Horner in Cascade. And as a young rider, like, trying to make it, like, you want to race against these guys and test your medal. And you actually can get noticed, too. So, um, you know, I'm friends with a lot of the U.S. guys, and, and we have fun racing against each other. It's a competitive environment. That's awesome. And now you said after uh, the Welta concludes, you're going to be doing your uh, event up in uh, Truckee, right? Yeah. Yep. Talk about that. You said you're going to have like a, a kind of a grand funnel with a twist. Yeah, I'm a part-time resident in Lake Tahoe, and it's one of the world's most beautiful places to ride a bike. Um, so I've created an event up there. It's called Stetna Sierra Prospect. Um, and what it is is instead of just a grand fondo where you just get timed, uh, we've created uh, a time segment, almost an enduro format, but we took it further in saying that we have five time segments and during those segments you can race, but the rest of the time there's no penalty to enjoy the aid stations that we put effort into. I mean, we have a concert at one of the aid stations, um, you know, and take pictures of Tahoe, be social, ride with your buddies. Honestly, it's how people ride on Strava now any day. They hammer a section that they have a good chance at and then they regroup. And then we actually have a sprinter classification for the two flat segments combined, so if you're not a climbing specialist, you don't worry about that, a climbing classification, so on and so forth. Um, and then, you know, we have a whole weekend, you know, we have Nitro Cold Brew from Sega Fredo at all the aid stations. Uh, I've actually created a custom beer with a brewery out of, uh, out of Reno. Um, it's called uh, Prospect and Pete's Pale Ale. And, uh, you know, it's a big charitable component, a dollar from every beer sold, the fancy gala dinner the night before the event, uh, it goes to High Fives Charity, which has a, a very personal meaning for me um, so they uh, that's a really nice uh, way to give back to do something more with your community um, but it's just it's a new twist on like a, a cycling weekend I mean there's a big 100 mile ride with it but there's so much more I mean we got the beer launch party we got a spin out coffee ride the gala dinner my sister leads a yoga for cyclist class Saturday afternoon the big event um, custom Patron cocktails it's gonna be a cool thing Mr. Kaylee Fritz. Yes. Did you race your bicycle today? Uh, not with a number. Okay. But we, were, we were riding as fast as we possibly could. That counts. Yeah. That counts. Uh, if you are a bicycle racer, our friends at Health IQ have a special deal for you. You can actually submit your race results and Strava file, Ooh. as we mentioned earlier in this episode, and get a great quote on life insurance because Health IQ is the company that's that's made its business model around catering to fit folks like, like you and us. me. I know. People who We're ride bikes. So fit. We're so fit. Dude, you're looking really fit today. I was going to say that. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. Appreciate that. Um, where do the good people go to find this deal? Well, Fred, they can head straight to healthiq.com slash velonews. We have a super uber special URL. You get your super uber special uh, quote at that URL. Head straight to healthiq.com slash Villainies. Uh You can do Strava. You can do race results. I wonder what they're going to have next, like mm. um, like town sprint, Ooh. like group ride results. Yeah, you have to like I don't know, you have to. 
take photos? Or I, I think so. How would you prove it? Well, you could just get some other dudes from the group ride uh, to vouch for you. Ah, uh, testimonial. Yeah. But since <laughs> it's the Boulder group ride, they'd probably make up excuses. Wow, well, I was going to beat him, but you know. Yeah. yeah. End of a hard week. It's true. Yeah. It's so much training. Yeah. Didn't have any breakfast. All right. Back to the show. Well, Welta Espana, we're going to be keeping our eyes on it. So the second half of this podcast, or the last section of this podcast, we want to talk more about the transfer market because, Hoodie, you had a really interesting chat with uh, Quick Step General Manager, Mr. Lefebvre, Patrick Lefebvre, who is an important figurehead in all of cycling. But this year, it really seemed like he played, he had an outsized impact on the transfer market. Quick Step in general just seemed a lot of what happened with riders transferring from one team to the next really hinged on the moves made by Quick Step. Uh, Hoodie, what can you tell us about this story? Yeah, so, so the other day I was just kind of uh, talking to some of the team managers and sport directors because they really are the guys uh, that really seem to know what's going on. I mean, the riders, you know, they're just so wrapped up in the race. So some of these larger issues and, and just kind of the trends and where things are going, it's always interesting to talk to the team managers and sport directors. And so I was talking to one of the directors and I said, you know, it's been a crazy uh, transfer season. What's behind it? What's going on? And they told me, oh, it's, it was all quick step because everyone, there was a fear quite late into the game, well into right before the Tour de France, really, the quick step, its future was not secure that the team might fold. So, of course, you have uh, nearly 30 of some of the best top names in the sport, getting very nervous. So it just happened that I saw uh, Lefebvre just sitting, standing there next to the quick step car and uh, got a pretty interesting, uh, you know, kind of a five minute chat with him, just asking him exactly about that, you know, what is going on with this uh, rider market this year? And he said, it's all about the money. Because <laughs> he, he, he hates rider agents. And he says it's the rider agents going around trying to talk up their riders, talk, talk up their uh, salaries, talk up the deals. And he said it was all because there was this log jam. Was Quick Step going or was Quick Step going to fold? So all these guys were like starting to cover their bases, you know. And then once they kind of said, okay, we're staying, a lot of those deals were already in place. So it was like a, a kind of like a dominoes. Should we just listen in to what uh, Mr. Patrick had to say? It's good for the agents. Yeah, good business agents, yeah. yeah. Well, it's going on, I think. Uh, I think we were blocking a little bit uh, transfer because nobody knew if the team would stop or going on. And once we, it was clear where we were engaging uh, riders, then everything starts to, starts to move, yeah. And of course, yeah, the Emirates and the Bahrain teams were built last moment, uh, last year. I know they, they have money they're quite active on the on the market. Uh, we saw Dan Martin leave your team, a few other riders. What's happening there? You saw Kittle leave. Is that just... It's about money. Just, it's it's all money, about yeah. money. I, I have a budget and this is the other side of a winning team. If you win a lot, your rider wants more money. And uh, if the budget doesn't increase, you have to make choices. So you decided to make the bet on Gavinia instead of Kittle? Oh. No, I wanted to keep both, but... Uh, if uh, Kittel doesn't want to ride in the team and the same team as Gaviria, I cannot stop him. He was end of contract, so. So his idea is he wanted to be the main sprinter for the team, and obviously there was not room for both of them in his mind. In his mind. Yeah. <laughs> in your mind, there was. In my mind, there was. Yeah, yeah. There are 275 race days and three big tours, mm-hmm. and I don't think uh, doing 70 races in a year, doing 70. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, doing safety races in the air 
like Marcel, Desiree, more than 70. So who will, who will do the other 210? Right. And you need to get some wins along the way as well. Yeah, he's a winning guy, but uh, I can. Uh, I want to be competitive in every race. Sure. Yeah, I know that's an interesting bit of perspective from Lefebvre about A, the quest for money, B, uh, the fact that he didn't really try to keep Dan Martin. It was very strange. Dan Martin, uh, their top finisher at this year's Tour de France, sixth place, I believe, going to UAE Team Emirates this year. And Lefebvre says that he didn't really try to keep him. Um, that's strange to me, Hoodie. I mean, here's this guy, has this great race, has been with the team for a number of years. What, what's, what's going on there? Why don't you think Lefebvre made a real, real attempt to keep Dan Martin? Well, it's pretty easy money. Uh, yeah, that's why, because the uh, the budget for Quick Step next year is slightly reduced from what it was this year, and Emirates has a lot of money sloshing around, and they've already picked up a couple of the key riders. Dan Martin is their big signing, but they also got uh, your man there, Christoph, uh, Roy Sutherland, and a few others beefing up their team. So it's another kind of a, a piece of this puzzle this year is that both Emirates and by Ryan Merida, they kind of came on late last year. So they kind of cobbled together the teams for 2017. Both of those teams are signing quite a few guys to make each of their programs much deeper, <clears throat> much deeper going into uh, 2018. And there's rumors going around that Emirates has as much money as Team Sky now. Wow. I mean, I, I get it. It's money. But I would just think that a sixth place finish at the Tour de France and the ability to win some of the punchy classics and the ability to improve on that sixth place at the Tour de France has a tremendous amount of value. I mean, I get it. You want some sprinters and your quick steps. You do have this commitment to the Belgian races. But ah, Dan Martin's a marketable guy. I mean, he got so much press at this year's Tour de France because he was riding injured. He was so combative. You know, he was really... He was sending it, man, to use the parlance of T.J. Eisenhart. Um, I think I disagree with Lefebvre's decision here. I think that they should have uh, tried to get Dan Martin back. Pay him. Pay the man what he's worth, damn it. Nah, Quickstep is GCist. They're, ah. they're climberist. Uh, no, seriously. I mean, when was the last time that, that Lefebvre put any significant money or effort into a GC contender for more than like a year and a half? It's been a while. Yeah, but uh, who's going to win? Which one of his guys is going to win Paris-Roubaix this next is, year? This is which like, one of his it's guys like, is going to win uh, Flanders? I think it's Team Gaviria at this point. I honestly do. I, I think that he's, he's you know, there's, there's a lot of eggs in that basket. I'm sure Gaviria is exceptionally expensive, as are a bunch of those big uh, classics names. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when, particularly when the budget goes down, you got to make decisions, and that team in particular is always going to to err on the side of sprinteriness. Ah, bad move. It's <laughs> err on the side of sprinteriness, and then uh, what? Like driving a dump truck full of money up to Philippe Gilbert's house so he can not <laughs> perform the year after he signs his contract <laughs> extension. Yeah, did he, I wonder if he's smart. They put him on a one year contract. <laughs> <laughs> Every year is contract year. Contract Philippe. year. Contract year Gilbert is just a much better bike racer than non contract year Gilbert. I think I think you should pay. You should pay. Jaber month to month. Uh, or just all bonuses, just a hundred percent bonus contract. Like, yeah, huge bonuses, but you just you know you make like thirty five grand otherwise. Yeah, your base salary thirty five thousand euros uh, with bonuses up to two point five million. However, yep. um, yeah, I think I think they're making a huge mistake. I like Dan Martin, a Dan Martin fan, uh, even though he scowled at me when I asked yep. him some question at the tour. <laughs> but think about it though, uh, Kaylee is exactly right. Say Dan Martin does want that. He, you know, now he thinks and believes he could possibly win the tour. So to win the tour, what do you need? You need a whole team around you. You need 
climbers support you need guys in the flats to support you need trainers you need your own mechanic you need your own soigne you need your own cook it's a huge investment and that's never where quick step's gone it's bread and butter it's always been in the classics and look you got ala philippe who's going to take dan martin's spot basically in the ardennes mm-hmm. and you got gaviria gaviria kelly pegged it he's the new peter sagan He's the guy that's going to drive the sport for the next five years at least. He stays healthy. He'll be winning classics and sprints. He's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the, Hoodie's right that the investment to really build a tour squad is much more than just buying Dan Martin. That's it's 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 you know it's half a dozen different riders. So the other interesting thing that Lefebvre was talking about was the decision to not sign Marcel Kittel back, to go with Gaviria ahead of Kittel, and how Kittel, you know, his decision for leaving the team was that it's either me or Gaviria for the Tour de France. And Lefebvre, he got a little salty about that. Sounds like he might be a little salty that um, this this idea that Quickstep couldn't handle two sprinters of that level on the team. Uh, Hoodie, what do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, you kind of could sense that he, he's not happy that uh, these guys are leaving, of course. And he's been around the game for a long time. And Lefebvre was old school where, you know, he was the one calling the shots back in the day. It said, okay, I'm going to bestow you a contract. Here's what I'm going to pay you. Take it or leave it. And now you've got these rider agents. Every, every rider has an agent now. Even like neopros have agents. So he's not used to uh, going to Marcel Kittle and saying, okay, Marcel, I'm going to pay you a million bucks a year. And Marcel's like, no, no, no. You talk to my agent. And the agent comes back to Lefebvre and says, no, no, no. Marcel's getting $2 million from Emirates. Match it or we're leaving. And he doesn't like that. <laughs> Who would? I, Who I mean, would? I, yeah, I, I wouldn't like that. If I, was <laughs> I mean, we see that in mainstream sports right now. So you look at the NBA and all, the, all the, the players have all the power now because of their agents and their ability to change teams and demand higher salaries. I kind of like it. I think it's a good direction seeing cycling going in that, uh, in that direction, kind of the death of the old way of doing things. But it does, yeah, it does give a tremendous amount of power to star riders, the ability to win. I guess a question, though, is let's say in a perfect world, old uh, Mr. LeFevre does have two jump trucks full of money not just one but two dump trucks full of money one that he can drive over to germany and uh, deposit at dolph lundgren lookalike marcel kittle's house and the other one that he can ship over to colombia to mr gaviria could um could quickstep manage two top level sprinters like that in 2018 i mean gaviria yeah he was so great at the giro it makes logical sense for him to step up to be a tour to be the tour sprinter um could quickstep handle two guys like that I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting. I, I can't recall actually a, a team having uh, you know two top sprinters at that level uh, racing on the same team. I mean, you know, I guess back in the day you had a situation where you had Cavendish and Dagenkolb on the same team, or even Greipel. Uh, but uh, Dagenkolb was, or even back in the day when Eddie uh, Boesenhagen, uh, when you had Cavendish, and that you know that was a team that had four or five great sprinters. And they could spread them out even when they were in the same race. It was like, okay, Cav, the pure Brun Spencer for you. If it's an uphill kicker, it's Eddie B or Degenkolb. Uh, that's probably the way they could have split it up. But yeah, like having two guys that are just purely Brun Spinners, that would be a challenge. Yeah, I think, I think part of the problem is that uh, you see those two riders converging. And I think Kittle saw Gaviria converging with his own path. Right. Because Kaviria, when he was younger, was very much sort of more in the Sagan mold of like, okay, we're going to win some, you know, some really hard sprints, maybe slightly uphill sprints, but we're not going to beat the fastest of the fast guys on a dead flat finish. 
and it does look increasingly like he could he could turn into a rider who could actually compete with Marcel Kittle on like a Champs-Élysées finish kind of thing. Uh, and I think that as those two riders converge, I think there there inevitably would have been issues as Gaviria got older and started sort of graduating out of things like the Giro and into the Tour de France. There would have been issues. So maybe it's better off for everybody. Yeah, I think it is better off for everyone. We want our sprinters to be battling each other. We don't want them to be working to each other and be buddies. No, they're the most fiery, uh, outspoken guys in the peloton. We want them to be rivals and hate but, each other and sneer at each other like boxers. <laughs> having said that, they did sign uh, Viviani. That's true. They, yeah. signed, they, they signed Viviani. So they are covering their sprinter base, giving them a presence in all three Grand Tours, as well as in you know split those guys up across the World Tour calendar, assuring uh, points. Or quick step. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting one. I mean, I guess there probably are enough sprints to split them up, but you know, Viviani is leaving Sky basically. I think because he got very little support there. Uh, you know, obviously didn't get brought to the Tour de France team. If they bring Viviani and Gaviria to the Tour de France, who's leading out whom? Uh, it seems to me like Viviani is probably pulling lead out duty there, and then he's back exactly where he was before. Uh, not exactly ideal. For, for, for Viviani, uh, that, was a, that was an interesting move for me. If he wants to win more, win more races, it doesn't seem like the right team for it. Uh, Viviani is really great at finishing fourth place. So <laughs> maybe he sees what's And winning going in on. Dubai. Yeah, winning in Dubai. <laughs> uh, guys, before we get off this topic, a team we also have to talk about is our very own Cannondale Draypack because they had the great news a couple weeks ago that they signed back Rigoberto Uran Uran, runner-up at this year's Tour de France for a three-year deal? Long-term deal. Three-year deal. They locked it down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then in the wake of that, we've gotten news that some of the younger guns on that team are departing. So we have the three Italian riders, Davide Formolo, uh, Betial and Vieja are all bailing out. And then the news to yesterday was that Tom Yeltislagter is also going out. Apologies to these nice men whose names I just butchered. <laughs> but um, what, what do we think is going on here? You know, these were all young guns. These were guys showing a lot of promise and had been part of the Cannondale team, prominent members of the Cannondale team these last few years. And they really came are, of age with it. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're gone. They're gonzo, gonskis. Yeah. I think Formolo in particular, I think yeah. that one will sting uh, for Jonathan Vodders. You know, there was always this, this Italian contingent ever since the team uh, combined with Leaky Guest basically a couple years ago. That Italian contingent is now much, much smaller. Uh, the biggest names, I think, were, were really Formolo and Betiol, and they are now both gone. I think the reality is that Iran is probably quite expensive. Uh, Vodders does not even attempt to hide how poor, relatively, his team is. Uh, he actually he tweeted something in response to uh, the story about Team Sky's new mega huge trailer, mega huge trailer, <laughs> trailer of doom. <laughs> something Star. about something about hoping that he could buy a new car with like good tread on the tires <laughs> this year. He does not. He does not hide the fact that his team is poor. And so I imagine that yeah, Formolo in particular, probably also Bettyall, who's had some great uh, sort of on the cusp results and is very young. I bet both those guys got much more expensive and probably, frankly, Vodders could not afford them. Uh, I've been texting Jonathan Vodders for two days trying to ask him this question. So, JV, if you hear this podcast, text, get at us, text JV. Me back. Come on. <laughs> because then we can answer this question uh, with actual facts instead of us just guessing. But uh, that's my guess. From a fan perspective, I'm bummed to see these guys leave, especially Formolo. I really liked watching him at the Giro. Showed a lot of promise as a GC rider. I think he's a guy that we're going to be seeing battle for that Giro win here in the next five years or so. So I'm bummed to see him go. I think I, I will always cheer for that guy. Um, and yeah, you know, now you look at uh, Cannondale's 
Jiro hopes going forward. And, um, you know, there's a big question mark there. Joe Dombrowski. Yeah, or you, or you. Maybe me. you. I'll just go. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'm pretty cheap, JV. I'm, yeah. I'm very cheap. Yeah, put me in for the uh, the minimum world tour salary. I'll call it good. Yeah, expenses. Can we get a little high, though? I've, yeah. I, I've, <laughs> I've, 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 I've seen you leave tips, Kaylee. You are cheap. I got a question. Uh, just for a guy that I have not seen much of this year, and I, I have not gotten the scoop. Maybe you guys can help me out here. What's going on with Lost and Craddock? He's uh, DNF all season long. Why, I thought we might see him at the Wiltick. Did not make the team. And what's going on with Lawson? Do you guys know? Yeah, so he DNF'd at the Colorado Classic. He actually got popped on one of the on one of the, the third stage, one of the days that uh, went up to pretty high altitude. Uh, I chatted with him for a little while after the race. Actually, we were stuck in a tent in a torrential downpour, and so he had no choice but to talk to me. Uh, yeah, I asked him about it. He did not give me any specifics other than to say that he's been sick a bunch uh, and that the season was simply not going as he had hoped. Uh, and, you know, a, a bit of illness at the wrong time can certainly do that. Uh, you know, he, he, I believe at California, he was not anywhere near as good as he was hoping to be. And then obviously at Colorado Classic, you know, DNFing in the third stage in, in, a, in a U.S. race. Um, that is definitely not what, what Lawson was hoping for. I mean, this is a guy who's finished the Tour de France. Like, we, we've seen him ride well. Uh, something's going on this summer. Again, he, would, he wouldn't provide any, any specifics, but it sounds like a bit of illness might be might be the primary reason. Yeah, when I talked to him in Colorado, he also talked about the challenge of altitude, and he's been training and riding a lot at sea level. I think he said he had been sick, and it was just a real shock to the system going up at altitude, especially at stage two in Breck, where it was just a uphill criterium, breathing out of a straw, and <laughs> he definitely was feeling it. But yeah, you know, he's got he's got a huge engine. Lawson's a huge talent, big um, big talent. I think. I don't, I don't think we've seen the end of that guy by any means. No, I did ask. So I guess he's in a. He said he's in a contract year, and I asked him whether he is concerned uh, because of his sort of lackluster season. He said, "No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not concerned. Uh, you know, he, I think the the team is going to stand behind him. Is what? Well, that's what he thought anyway. Uh, so we should see him back at Cannondale next year if uh, if that conversation was any indicator. Uh, okay, guys. Before we end this week, we have to have one final question, and I like the question of finish line salutes. You know, we talked about it earlier today with Nibali doing his chicken shark, shark chicken. I don't know what it is. Uh, the swing of the baby. Um, what would be your finish line salute? Let's say you have managed to escape from the peloton, and you're coming in to the finish line, and you have a enough time to post up, and b the presence of mind to think of your finish line salute. What's what's it going to be? Kayla, we're starting with you. Oh no. Uh, yeah, I kind of like the uh, the dance moves. I kind of like the dance moves of the finish line. Uh-huh. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Sagan's Running Man. I think that was a pretty great one. Uh, what I, about the hula dance? Hula <laughs> dance is pretty good. I might do a little hula. Uh, I think I do like maybe a little robot. Just a little uh, finish line oh, robot. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, I was going to do the robot. Great minds think alike, Hoodie. I apologize. Uh, I would definitely I would do the robot across the finish line. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, if I, I can't do the robot, I, I would do like the uh, lawn sprinkler. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, or the, the mow in the lawn. I like the mow the lawn, you know? The uh, the start the engine, pull back, start the cord, and then... All sorts <laughs> of good... I'm sticking with the robot. Dance move the robot. options here. Um, I think, you know, since I am a journalist, I would try to think of, like, journalism-themed um, salute. So, like, the turn the tape recorder on, you know? <laughs> or the write something down. Ah, those, are, those are lame. I think I would do moose ears. Ooh. You know, moose antlers, moose ears, moose antlers, <laughs> moose have big ears. Uh, I think I would roll across and like a total idiot, stick my hands up 
to my head and make the moose antlers. What if you just did like the like the funky chicken or something like that? Yeah, you know, yeah, just that one works. Riff off of Nibbly a little bit. Actually, knowing knowing my luck, you know what I would do? I'd I'd freaking crash. <laughs> I'd try to do something. I'd just be like that guy in the blooper video you see on YouTube, where he's coming up to the line, throws his arms up to celebrate, and just biffs it. it. I would biff it so hard, and then some guy would pass me as I was running across the line with my bike. <laughs> And that would be that. Uh, well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on com. Subscribe to the Villainous Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Velonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash Magazine And follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Velonews Podcast is produced by News, which is owned by the Competitor Group. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Velonews Podcast are those of the individual. And as always, you leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy classic soul drums yo sé que estás ahí eh, imaginando como despertar si no puedes sentir es porque esto acaba de empezar no sé Escucha bien O es que no tienes Nada que contar Puedes quedarte ahí Pero ya nada Nada será igual Porque te mira Ella te mira Si la llevas a bailar ah.